Well, Greg, June 14th is when you can look forward to me being on in the audience. That's right, the audience <laughs> of the most celebrated game show in the history of television. The Price Jeopardy. Is right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Greg, how dare you, okay? Alex Je- Trebek is dying. Jeopardy is a, I know, God, uh, for prayers, <laughs> prayers God, yeah, for, for Alex Trebek. Mm-hmm. Uh, lift him to the Lord. However, <laughs> that is the real game show. Not this, not this, fr- not the frivolities of The Price is Right. <laughs> John, did you did you guess if the dinette set was really worth twenty five hundred bucks or that that implies that I got called down, Greg? And no, I did not get called down. Not for well, with absolute lack of trying, because I would be terrible at The Price is Right. Okay. I knew this going in, and so the, I totally bombed the interview, or at least tried to be the most boring human being imaginable, because I did not want to get called down. John, and actually, John, peel back the veil for us. So, what was the okay. day like? When when was the taping uh so the taping you had to line up at 8 30 and we got into uh, the actual uh, where, studio when? at 8 30 in the morning yeah uh, on what day oh on a sunday the lord's day <laughs> shouldn't these people be uh, off enjoying time with their families not working on a sunday are you kidding me first Price of all right? greg there are so many families that come together wearing matching t-shirts so <laughs> yes it was time with the family and also much like church there's a lot of sitting and standing all in praise <laughs> unto the the great true carry <laughs> blessings be upon his name okay, he even brought well, his son uh, okay. his son was there his son co- <laughs> so it's like there was that lineage greg okay okay fine he bequeathed but- he bequeathed bequeath- cory i think was his name i don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll continue with the blasphemies, huh? Instead of instead of respecting our Lord in in a house of worship, you went to uh, you went to go worship this golden idol in terms of prizes and true carrying. And whoever the announcer is Look, now, I don't know. You know, your your answer to the universe is a mystic cosmic force. My answer to the universe is electric powered trikes worth over five hundred dollars. <laughs> Okay. Wait, the hardest 500, thing. $500 for electric tricycles? <laughs> yes, it was the hardest thing anyone had to guess because, like, no one had seen these things before. <laughs> okay. I mean, you should be riding bicycles. But anyway, sorry, continue. Mm-hmm. You're lining up way too early on a Sunday, mm-hmm. a day of rest. So you, you line up at 8.30. Uh, you don't actually get into the studio by 11. But, you know, like, the energy is kind of, like, in the lines, you know, they're, they're playing music. They're kind of got you a little bit jazzed, and then you get in there, and you realize how small that studio actually is. On TV, they make it look like it's a mile wide. Yeah. But it's kind of more concave, so it's just, like, the way they shoot it, it's just, like, it's, it's much smaller in person. It's a 300-person studio, but um, it's, it's much smaller in real life. But this, that makes the crew just even more exciting when they're like tearing down and setting things up because they constantly have to be like, and then during, they still have the commercial breaks. They obviously have time for that, but during the commercial breaks, they do uh, pickups. So they have to like reorient things. And, you know, the lady who's kind of getting everyone energized, she tells everyone to calm back down. And then she's like getting us back up again. It's, 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 it's a lot of dynamicism, Greg. And, you know, everyone seems to be having a good time. There was, you know, they obviously make like sarcastic quips about this is how the sausage is made. Welcome to the magic. Hollywood, but you know everyone seems to have a good time and everyone seems to like each other. So okay, that's that's yeah. good. Now speaking of speaking of that dynamic, I know the 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 theater is very small. I mean, and they have to like not just not just with applause signs, but kind of keep you up. How was things during the downtime? So it, this isn't taped live, but it, it was taped like within an hour, just as the the way that a regular episode of Price is Right right. Oh is, no, it takes is, about it takes about two hours to actually film. 
Because okay. again, like they still they take the time during commercial breaks, quote unquote commercial breaks, to do pickups, and that can kind of take a while. That can take like five to ten minutes based on what they have to do. Uh, they usually have to redo. Uh, they have to reshoot some products, or sometimes the announcer or Drew fumbles something. So that's when you have to. All right, everyone, be quiet, and you know, like he has to say the same thing over again or something like that. Okay. Now, is the contestant on stage when this happens, or like? No, no, Because again, no, no, I'm no. assuming the contestants are catastrophically nervous. <laughs> no, 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 no. The the contestants are always kind of like shuffled around. They're always constantly like, the stage manager who like he had this very Sam Raimi esque presence. He was like wearing a very nice suit, and he always seemed like he was in charge. But he seemed very affable. He seemed like a really cool guy. Okay. <laughs> the stage manager, you know, and he had a little iPad that basically had we the only screen we saw was stay. Because he would flash it to whoever the contestant was, because you know, they're like he said, like as soon as you're called up here, the first instinct you're going to have is to freaking run all over the place. So it's important that you stay. <laughs> you have to mark. You stay at your mark. So. Oh, um, so they cheat a little bit. So instead of like then it's instantaneous. Jonathan, come on down. No, 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 no. Complete opposite. Complete opposite. That like that 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 emotion is genuinely felt by everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, when they shout, you're the next contestant on The Prize is Right, everybody freaks out. Okay. And so uh, there was one contestant who was called, and she was, like, freaking out so much. She was from the aisle across from us. She, like, ran up and actually hugged Simon. So you'll be able to see him on TV, hopefully. I don't think you'll be able Simon, to see Simon, your husband, us. yes. Yes, so, Simon, my husband. So. so he looks forward to his close-up on June 14th. So <laughs> Now, John, did you sign anything that would make it illegal to disclose all this information before the episode actually airs? I assume I didn't read the whole contract. Come on, that's dumb. What are you like? Oh, Apple, iTunes, like you know, we get your soul. Whatever, okay. I want to be on TV. <laughs> get me up there with Drew Carey, okay? Yes. Well, if it wasn't clear, you weren't getting any jobs in Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> now you certainly won't uh, when you when you break your uh, NDA. So yeah. Two weird stipulations. Yes. One, you could your name couldn't have possibly been called if you had been on a game show within the past month. Okay, I'm sure that's that's part of the uh, like following quiz sh- the quiz show or 21 you know debacle. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, there are a lot of rules and regulations governing how game shows are run. So yeah, I can understand that. Same mm-hmm. with radio contests; they can't reward like family members of the of the radio. Staff oh, and that was something. totally yes. You had to disclose if you had any family member actually working for CBS. Yeah. So and then the other weird stipulation: no fitness trackers, no smartwatches. And Why? we were confused at that until a security guard explained, like, well, there was an incident about a month ago where uh, some, they were feeding answers through their smartwatch. Ah. Someone was getting, yeah, there was a quiz show situation. Someone was getting the answers. Uh, yes. Yeah. I wonder what they did with the episode. Did they did they trash it? or uh, Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, they shoot, like, three in a day. <laughs> yeah, okay. And this was the second, the next day, so we shot on a Sunday. They said Monday was going to be the day that they shoot that was going to be their last shoot until like August, so they took their summer break. Yeah, because I think well, they shoot they shoot on average about 160 episodes a year. So it's like you shoot three in a day, you basically have like a three day work week. Well, I heard, and I never confirmed this, but I think they shoot an entire year's worth of Wheel of Fortune in a month. Mm. Like literally, it's like three episodes a day over the course of a month, and that gives them enough uh, episodes in the can to go throughout the year. And then Pat Sajak and Vanna White just I don't know <laughs> live in Acapulco the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah, rest on their laurels. Yep. But I do want to give credit to Drew Carey. He was he was a really good host. And what was nice is he stayed pretty much on stage the whole time. He took a few breaks. He said like I'll be right back. See you later, guys. Um, but I assumed there was going to be like a warm up comic. 
You know, mm. like normally when they do live tapings, they have another warm-up comic kind of come out and keep the crowd going. Drew Carey yeah. played both roles. He was like, as soon as he was done, you know, during the commercial breaks, he's like, hey, how's it going? Denise, your name's Denise? How's it going? You know, he's giving like, yeah. he's, he was doing like this kind of fake lounge lizard kind of thing. Yeah, just fake cigarette <laughs> and everything. <laughs> Don't give me that jazz. <laughs> exactly. Like, what do you do? You're a cop? Hey, welcome to California, bitch. <laughs> and he like oh, pretends geez. like he's toking. <laughs> yep. A lot of fun. He's a great guy. Saying the B word. Okay. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't expect any less. Well, golly, John, I can't believe you're going to make it on the TV. (laughs) There were. Let me tell you, there were quite a few characters. Oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) When people get excited for the prices, right? They get excited. Let me. Are you you sure about this? That seems unconventional (sighs) for an episode of The Price Is Right. Um, (laughs) Not that I know. I haven't seen daytime television in about 11 years. (laughs) Well, what's disappointing is, Greg, you've lived in LA now for. God knows how long. Your yeah. dreams still haven't come true. Kelsey Breeze. But for me, <laughs> I, a San Diego native, uh-huh. roll up and get on The Price is Right, or at least to a taping, one of the big Hollywood dreams that any human should possibly have, and you haven't even tried. What are you wasting your time in Hollywood for? John, I care about the craft, okay? Ugh. I, I commit myself to the craft of, of, of writing and conceiving stories, not just, not just the frivolities of game shows. Mm. No, Greg, it's about work. It's about yeah, being it's about famous. The, yes, it's no, about the it's, money. No, John, you're right. It's about doing the work, right? It's about putting mm. the time in. And we did that this week when we looked at one of the most committed performances ever put to celluloid. I'm talking Dustin Hoffman playing Dorothy Michaels in Tootsie. <laughs> That segue, by the way, A plus. that was I think that, so. that was all right. You you fumbled a few things, <laughs> such as go ahead. <laughs> you said I was right when I was arguing with you, so you well kind you of did say well me. you said you evoked the word work. Oh okay, you're yeah. okay. I guess I didn't invoke the word work. Yes. Because oh, let me tell you guys, Dustin Hoffman is working. Okay, he, he is doing work in this movie. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. I had originally planned to do this movie as a as a four parter. We do some like it hot, then Tootsie, <laughs> then Mrs. Doubtfire, and then she's the man. You know, all the classic cross dressing <laughs> comedies. Well don't worry, when we transition to T V, John, we can see Bosom Buddies and then speaking uh, of work, the classic ABC sitcom Work It. Uh, <laughs> which if people remember was a was a redo of Bosom Buddies, uh, for mm. all intents and purposes. It lasted all of uh, two episodes. Wow. <laughs> And some people say we're still we still have a long way to go. I think we've made a lot of progress. Thank you Indeed. very much. Yes. <laughs> so let's get into the premise, shall we? In case people don't know, so the story of this movie is Dustin Hoffman is playing a hardworking, if difficult, committed actor by the name of Michael Dorsey. Yes, I believe he's on the wrong side of forty or mm-hmm. late thirties or something like that. A little little past his prime. Mm-hmm. Let's say, uh, but he's coaching. He's very committed to the craft. We see an, he he puts the time in. He's in a number of auditions, but yeah, things just aren't working out for him. And so, through some kind of contrived plot machinations, a friend of his 
is going up for an audition. Yes. And uh, she sadly does not get it. And to kind of well, she doesn't even try. I mean, that's yeah, exactly. She doesn't even get the opportunity because again, it's it's run by sexist males. Yes. And (laughs) to kind of prove a point, I, 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 like, I was a little confused on the motivation (laughs) because it's not like he's trying to embarrass her. (laughs) Yeah. So here's here's one thing I'll point out. I don't know why we're laboriously explaining the plot. Everybody knows what Tootsie. A guy dresses up as a girl to basically win the part. Mm -hmm. Um. Now, but what makes this movie? You know, there's a there's a comedy corollary I call it. Like guys in dresses equals funny, right? There's there's no getting around it. Uh, that's why all the laziest SNL sketches um, just have guys in dresses. Mm-hmm. However, you know, in our enlightened times, we see cross dressing or drag in a completely different light now. Now it pertains to like gender identity, feminism, all these other things. Mm-hmm. And I think what makes Tootsie work so well, in addition to being a, a hilarious comedy, I'm just going to put that out of the way. I really like this movie and thought oh, it was Oh, wow. Hysterical. Okay, I'm a, little, I'm a little surprised. I thought for sure this would be a third week in a row where you're like, ugh, lighthearted comedy, boring. No, <laughs> like, give no, me no, stakes. no. Give me life or death stakes. <laughs> no, because I, I think because it, it, it works today because it's not, say, about feminism. He's not doing it to prove a point. It's more mm-hmm. that... He, see, he sees an opportunity and takes it. It's not saying a grander statement about uh, society, like the way Bosom Buddies. I believe Bosom Buddies, they dress up as women because the the apartment they want is only available to women. Uh, mm-hmm. In that terrible sitcom, Work It, it's because um, the equal opportunity means that only women are getting employed lately. So we got to dress up as women to get the dream job. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not really saying anything about that. Um, and it also establishes Michael Dor- Dorsey as a little acerbic, and you know, adept at makeup, so he would you know try try this uh, outrageous idea mm-hmm. to actually land the part. Exactly. Although I will say the one scene that's missing, because mm-hmm. again he makes this leap. There's that famous reveal shot of like a you know uh, Dustin Hoffman in drag suddenly becomes a face in the crowd in New York, like her 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 blouse up to like her. That's neck. the introduction. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> The the problem is what I missed in between then, and it's a complete cliche, and it's in everything you see. Like, in her fr- his friend basically doesn't say to her like, "Oh, like you were so good at that line reading, you should go out for the part." And then there's that like bling on the score, and the camera pushes in on his face. <laughs> <laughs> see, but that's what I like about this movie is it seems to avoid all the kind of over the top comedic cliches. One of the other great credits I want to give this movie is there's no like lame moment where he's like, "Oh, I'm scheduled to go to a dinner." as Michael, but now I have to go to this other place as Dorothy, and he has to switch back and forth. Like, yeah. There, there, is this, there is this kind of farcical when he goes home to his apartment, and someone follows him as Dorothy, and it's like, this is how you live, Dorothy? You live like a middle-aged man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but there's no, like, there's no over-the-top ridiculous thing where it's like, oh, he's got to be in two places at once, two different people at once. No, it's not It's not farcical. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of setups for that, like the, the very first moment Surprise, surprise, he does win the audition as Dorothy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the very, literally the very first day on set, like, oh, I have to kiss a man? Ugh. <laughs> but again, that's not played, it's not played up for, like, gay panic or anything like that. It's not, it's not ridiculous. And, you know, the way the scene plays out, she improvises something where she doesn't have to kiss him until the cameras stop rolling, and he does plant a big wet one on him. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like a like a farce or no. something. Like it doesn't feel like say Mrs. Doubtfire, which was also hugely successful, like this movie was. But that that's designed to play up like the cartoony aspect of a of an improviser like Robin Williams, whereas this is designed to play up to the commitment of a crazed method actor like Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> So the, and, both the movies are kind of playing to their strengths. Exactly, and I want to—I I don't want to get away without commenting on my on my favorite part of casting, which is Sidney Pollack, the director, is playing his agent, and yes. I think it's absolutely pitch perfect casting because both men have probably had to deal with Dustin Hoffman at his worst <laughs> moments, and I think Sidney Pollack <laughs> is like perfectly in tune for that. You know, he like the way he rolls his eyes and the way he's like he's clearly had to deal with Hus- Dustin Hoffman, the actor at these periods, so he's like perfectly tuned to play that role. Like yes. just kind of fed up with his attitude and fed up with his bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Now what is it, Michael? Terry Bishop is doing Ice Man Cometh, right? Didn't you promise to send me up for that part? Am I wrong? Didn't you tell me I was gonna I was gonna get a reading for Michael, that part? Aren't you my agent Stuart too? Stuart Pressman wants a name, Michael. Oh, I see. Terry Bishop is a name. No, no, no. Michael Dorsey is a name. When you want to send a stake back, Michael Dorsey is a name. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. You always do this to me. A rap thing to say, and I know it. Let me start all over again. Terry Bishop is on a soap opera. Millions of people watch him every day. He's known. And that qualifies him to ruin Ice Man Cometh? I'm not gonna you know, I can I'm act circles around that guy. I already played that part Stuart in Minneapolis. Stuart a name that's his affair, okay? I know this is going to disgust you, Michael, but a lot of people are in this business to make money. Well, don't make me like They're I'm some money. flake, George. I am in this business to make money, too. Really? Yes. The Harlem Theater for the Blind, Strindberg in the Park, the People's Workshop in Syracuse. Okay, now, wait a minute. I did nine plays in eight months up in Syracuse. I happened to get great reviews from the New York critics. Not that that's why I did it. Well, of course not. God forbid you should lose your standing as a cult failure. You think I'm a failure, George? Is that what you're saying to me? I will not get sucked into this conversation, Michael. And I'm glad you you brought that up because there's another hugely important character here, mm-hmm. um, one in which I thought it was only a cameo, but it is really like a, a big kind of meaty supporting part, and that's Bill Murray as his playwright roommate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Who, you know, in contrast to everybody else who reacts outrageously like, Michael, what the hell are you doing? Bill Murray playing it perfectly deadpan. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. That's not the direction I would go, but uh, more power to you. <laughs> I, g- I guess it's accepting because story-wise, he is doing this to help his his roommate actually put on a play in Syracuse. So exactly. There, there's that. There's that like a story reason for it. Again, nothing big, grand, societal, which I think makes this movie feel a little bit more timeless than say like, I'm th- I'm, I'm a crusading men's right men's rights activist. <laughs> um, <laughs> We'll take down feminism from the inside. <laughs> well, okay, but there is also that comment that's been made about this movie, which is it is maybe a little insulting to imply that it's like, oh, you know who would be really good at being a woman? A man. <laughs> which. <laughs> well, I think it's like a. I think that's the other thing, too. It's a certain kind of woman that this part is calls for. That's why his friend doesn't even, like, is. For one, she's too timid. Mm-hmm. So like that's why she doesn't even like she's not she's afraid to even audition for the part. Yeah, she's not. But also, enough. yes, and that's why Dustin Hoffman works so well because he is so assertive both as a as a as an actor like on stage and in these auditions. But yeah, he can read the character better in that way. So it's more like the person is right for the part rather than say like the gender. I think. Yeah, but also then you get into the tricky as the story goes along. He meets this other actress played by Jessica Lange, Julie, yeah. and the lesson she learns, the arc she goes through, is she has to learn to be more assertive as a person as well. And so you get into this weird kind of 
let's say like the help situation where it's like oh if if only the underclasses would stand up to them for themselves <laughs> well you need to take someone of privilege and show them how to do it <laughs> I, I mean I that's guess, yeah if you if you read too much into it you can kind of see that that's kind of the message that they're maybe accidentally trying to tell um i don't think that was the intention of the movie i think the intention of the movie is you know obviously um dustin hoffman's character is kind of acerbic and he needs to kind of go through this arc to kind of teach him to be a little more in tuned emotionally with how he kind of treats people and you know it's, it's important for him to see the other side of things to see how kind of poorly actresses are treated and it you know makes him a better actor because of it i've just been thinking a lot about barry barry just entered its second season and you know like the whole point like actor well, acting sorry is, just started just started its second season sorry sorry it just started its second season and you know acting is emotional labor and so i think mm-hmm. that's kind of what this movie does really well is expressing how acting is emotional labor and it really gets to the core of how exhausting this is for michael (laughs) (laughs) like even without the big farcical scene where it's like oh michael has to run to the bathroom and put on his makeup again he you know like the end scene where he like finally knows like he has to give up the ghost he's just like laying on the couch he's like he's almost dead (laughs) because he's just so exhausting from being this completely different person 24 7 yeah i do want to push back on the notion that you know, some like condescendingly, we need a man to show a woman how to stand up for themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because there are some elements to this is a long movie for a comedy. I was expecting like a light, fun ninety minutes, and it is light pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's not like they're breaking down barriers or anything, but <laughs> there, there's a lot of characterization going on that I think a, a lazier comedy might not make a point of. For instance, uh, Julie is a single mother. Mm-hmm. And like the relationship that she's in, where she's mistreated, is also it's it's with her boss. So there's also that dynamic there. So it's there's a lot more going on than just saying that oh the the man is condescendingly you know <laughs> has to show her how to stand up for himself. Uh, that said, you're you're right. It is exhausting, and I think it does put the work in. But that's that's one big demerit in the movie. In that, uh, as Dorothy Michaels uh, playing Emily Kimberly on this crappy like soap opera, she does like improvise and assert herself as a character and suddenly she becomes like a he becomes a, a feminine icon mm-hmm. exactly, and he's, yeah. yes and he's on the cover of magazines like cosmo <laughs> in new york magazine <laughs> until like yeah he has to give up the ghost and it's a big dramatic reveal like uh, another i think another soap opera did this previously it was like a a, a a character came out of their disguise and was a whole different gender or whatever but <laughs> So suddenly, that goes completely uncommented on. Like you'd think, Michael Doherty, like his house would be surrounded by like paparazzi twenty four seven for about two weeks after that. He <laughs> completely defrauding the American people. It is kind of funny that it's like, oh well, that was the big reveal. All right, bye. Yeah. Let's just all peace yeah. out and pretend that never happened. <laughs> yeah. So, it but again, feel like impactful. that's the that's the emotional climax. So you can't really like it's kind of, and it's also the perfect way to end it. So it's like you can't really. And we don't really know how much time has passed since, you know, Michael reconnects with Julie at the end, you know? I, I guess not. I, that's another issue. Like, while we're nitpicking. <laughs> yeah. You think he has more than enough of the eight grand to stage this show in Syracuse or whatever. That said, I'm sure the studio has some questions on why they hired a complete imposter with, like, no <laughs> social security number or anything like that. Yeah, were I'm they sure that SAG? Might... Did they get SAG benefits? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the studio would have some questions about that. Also, also some questions. There was technically a man in the women's changing room. Mm. Um, if I, if were I Gina Davis's character, I would I would have some questions about that. 
But Greg, they were identifying as a woman at the time, okay? <laughs> That's true. This launched the whole uh, bathroom controversy about sickos go. going into yep. <laughs> the, the moral majority was outraged when they saw this movie. Yes. <laughs> Abomination, they said. I know. Thank, thank goodness Fox News didn't exist at the time. Otherwise, Michael <laughs> Dorsey would be a, a pariah instantly. <laughs> mm. Oh, do you think this movie would have courted more controversy, like intentionally, if it were made today? I feel like if it were made today, it's like, yes, this is a grand statement. <laughs> I think capital I, important movie. Like Ghostbusters. Well, I, th- I think they would go, yeah, they would make that decision. They, mm. they would go that direction. Whereas happily, this, this movie doesn't do that, I don't think. No, it's Again, definitely it finds not a perfect self-employed. kind of emotional through line with the story. Michael with his commitment to his acting, uh, Julie with also like her commitment to her father. Like you said, th- these scenes aren't played for like complete farce. Like again, he's not he's not running like playing Michael and then changing into Dorothy, you know, in the restaurant or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's not doing that. And it's the same when they go off to this farm. Mm-hmm. They ha- they have a weekend away, and uh, Julie invites uh, Dorothy or. Michael Dorsey is what she thinks is Dorothy to her old farm with her single father uh, with the intention of setting the two of them up. I think that's the that's the closest the movie kind of gets a little too cartoony is the way the father reacts. Like, you know, he's outside her window, like, like singing to her later. Like, I thought that was a little. No, that's not the father. That's his that's his co-star. Oh, that's the co-star. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Never mind. That's the cartoony. That's the cartoony. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've been passing time watching trains go by All of my life Lying on the sand Watching seabirds fly Wishing there would be Someone waiting home for me Something's telling me then and we get that kind of final not really final but it's like it's it's almost a climax the bad choice of words to you know dorothy and julie almost hooking up as well yeah <laughs> like he leans in for the kiss because you know that's his natural inclination and then you know he's like but there's a reason i love that line reading <laughs> yeah i was surprised by how how well it's directed too yeah the, the the reading and it's like a wide angle it's it's a silly shot or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> like and what he's also doing with his hands and that's a good point to bring up because she also like it's it's not played for farce like she acknowledges like oh sorry i was trying to hook you up with my dad clearly you have other interests so <laughs> you have to tell him differently mm-hmm. uh some of the some of the plot machinations like don't work like he he proposes marriage after only knowing her for two days um yeah <laughs> Like that's that's a little absurd. It does lead to a, a funny scene in a bar later when he has to return the ring as Michael. <laughs> <laughs> this has a lot of funny moments. Like uh, yeah. one of my personal favorites is uh, Julie confesses to Dorothy like what she really wants out of a man and how he really how she really wants to be approached. And as Michael, he does exactly that and gets a drink thrown in his face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there are good setups and payoffs there. My favorite laugh is. Uh, Michael as Dorothy lands the lands the big gig, um, mm-hmm. so he will have enough money to stage the show. But what do they tell their friend who he, who he's written a part for, like, and they're contriving all these situations, like you know, like do we tell her an old relative died? Like, no, that's ridiculous. Hard cut to their friend go, oh my gosh, how did your old relative die? 
Bill Murray gets a lot of great lines too. Like yeah. my personal favorite, we already talked about the scene where she has to, uh, f- you know, in his apartment, force the suitor yes. away. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, nobody was watching this soap opera until now. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. Michael said like, "Okay, I'm gonna give up the ghost. Make sure you're tuning in at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, he's watching it, and I think he hints with like, "That was one nutty hospital." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if he improv that, but yeah. No, but this is like again perfect use of Bill Murray. I like Bill Murray as a supporting character. I don't like him as the main star. That's no, that's yeah, too much. Because that's not, yeah, that's not his strength. He's he's a deadpan observer, like a mm-hmm. passive observer. Um, it doesn't work in say a comedy like Larger in Life mm-hmm. <laughs> or Operation Dumbo Drop. <laughs> yeah. No, that was not the one that he was. He was in Larger than Life. <laughs> Annie Glover was in Operation. Are you sure? Yes, I'm, I'm 100% positive. Danny Glover was Are you sure it's not Operation pronounced Berenstein Bears? Are you sure? <laughs> that one I won't touch. But okay. <laughs> there was Dunstan Checks In, there was That Darn Cat, and there was a number of, of animal movies in the mid-90s. <laughs> it's also confusing. Anything after Air Bud, I'm just like completely lost. Yeah. Air Bud is my, my point of reference, my cultural point of reference. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of things from the mid-90s, uh, my first exposure to Tootsie was on, do you remember those old AFI TV specials where they would count down, like, the 100 greatest movies in, of, in American history? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. That, that was my first exposure to Tootsie, because it always landed, like, all the lines, and, like, it was, like, a top 10 comedy. Mm-hmm. So, like, in the in the years since, I, I've seen a lot of those movies on the list, and it's clear that they're the favorites of these old dinosaurs <laughs> in the AFI, <laughs> on the AFI <laughs> selection committee or something like that, mm-hmm. and I was afraid Tootsie would, would be the same. Uh, but I, I'm I've never been happier to be wrong. So um, okay. Tootsie is an outstanding comedy. We we would recommend it to every anybody. Yeah, exactly. Because this is the first time we've had a wholehearted recommendation in a long time. I think. I, exactly. Well, you've just been such a negative Nancy. I've been like uh, me. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's all about Eve. Blech. Come on, all about Eve is fun. Just as much fun as this movie is. I'd say. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> all right. There's more. There's more of a director's panache going on with this one, I suppose. Oh, this one has kind of more like there's a more of a reason for the deadpan style as opposed to uh, <laughs> all about Eve, which is more technical limitations. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> not that they were not that they were lazy and just stage everything like a oh, like a play. Oh, sorry, I'm getting negative again. You old poop. I do another classic comedy from the '80s. <laughs> one we didn't comedy really drama much. romance. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how to classify <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything at the kitchen sink. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that movie wasn't celebrated more by the AFI. You'd think, like, that would be the one that really spoke to them. Like, oh, Henry Fonda, playing his age. <laughs> he looks like me. <laughs> no, there's there's way more craft, I think, going on in Tootsie than on mm. Golden Pond. That is true. It was this brother who, on the day of her death, swore to the good Lord above that he would follow in her footsteps and, 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 and just, 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 just. Don't, 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 don't panic. Owe it all up to her, but on her terms. God, here come the terms. As a woman, and just as proud to be a woman as she ever was. For I am not Emily Kimberly, the daughter of Dwayne and Alma Kimberly. No, I'm not. I'm Edward Kimberly, the reckless brother of my sister Anthea. Ah! Holy Christ! It's a Edward Kimberly, who has finally vindicated his sister's good name. I'm Edward Kimberly. Edward Kimberly. 
And I'm not mentally ill, but proud and lucky. And strong enough to be the woman that was the best part of my manhood. The best part of myself. That is one nutty hospital. I knew there was a reason she didn't like me. Should we talk about the career of Sidney Pollack, Greg? Uh, sure. I don't know what else I have to say, really. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't... He was in Eyes Wide Shut. That's a, that's about all I know. Um, <laughs> he's he's directed a lot of notable movies. Um, mm-hmm. Not many that I've seen. I mean, uh, I instance, haven't. I haven't seen Absence of Malice, Out of Africa, um, Random Hearts. <laughs> I don't know. I always kind of like when I think of Sidney Pollack, I think of kind of like Sidney Lumet, like uh, just kind of like a nice workman kind of director who kind of no you just think they share the name so yeah that's pretty much it yeah i think that's it but still no 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 they have similar they have similar styles which is you know they make you know very solid middle brow fare yes and i think they're actors they're actor directors like they work on performance not necessarily like the technical or like different kinds of framing or photography or anything like that they work with the they're with the actors pretty much exactly and i think that's like i think milos foreman would also probably fall into that camp a bit uh, yeah but there, there's a little bit more style and production value going on in, in milos foreman's work mm. uh compared to this yeah he had his heyday in the 80s but i don't know I, th- I think he's like kind of better served as an actor like he had the screen presence he has this cadence like again perfectly cast as this agent or as um, <laughs> tom cruise's doctor buddy <laughs> yeah. eyes wide shut <laughs> Everyone's favorite Christmas movie, Eyes Wide Shut. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I guess maybe I just want to kind of give him some credit because I don't know. Like, we often argue on this uh, podcast way too much about like auteur theory, and I just kind of get sick of mm-hmm. it. And you know, I want to celebrate kind of the the middle of the road directors like Sidney Pollack and Norman Jewison, who we talked yeah, about. Yeah, oh, weeks a, ago. a classicist, uh, classic style. Exactly. Like, there's nothing yeah. wrong with like a nice kind of straightforward classic style. Like, not everyone has to be Stanley Kubrick. No, obviously not. And yeah, not formalist, not super realistic. Instead, like, that kind of classic style. Mm-hmm. And so, I hats off to you, Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Wherever you may be. Yes. Is he still with us? No, he's not. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he died in like 2008. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? I wasn't there. <laughs> I've, uh, I never fine. met him. That's true. <laughs> Sometimes I can't even remember when my family members <laughs> passed away. You, you're, are you getting into Mr. Plinkett a phase, Greg? Yeah. Didn't take my brain medicine. Nice. <laughs> what the hell's a Shazam? <laughs> hey, wait a second. <laughs> hey, that's a perfect segue into what we have to talk about this week for Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time serendipitously mm. <laughs> we watched another movie a recent release this past weekend uh, about another character who has to change for roles or personas <laughs> <laughs> yes and we paired it with the perfect uh, corresponding 80s movie tootsie yes <laughs> everyone who watched Sh- uh, shazam this weekend was like wow it's like watching tootsie again <laughs> there could be a reference in there i don't know i <laughs> Again, my eyes aren't on the full frame, <laughs> for, like I couldn't catch anything. <laughs> Apparently, there was a reference to Annabelle creation, the director's last movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I didn't know that this was directed by a horror uh, aficionado. Apparently, really, so. he's all over Twitter, bro. Oh, really? Yes. He's a he's a big tw- presence on the tweets. Absolutely, all the best directors are <laughs> Christopher <laughs> McQuarrie, 
uh, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> they do say, speaking of like actors and getting roles, they do say that that is now a consideration for when they're casting parts. Is like, how big is their Twitter following? Can we go oh, viral? <laughs> yeah, it's been that way for many years. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. But yeah, we're talking about Shazam, bro. Yeah, we watched yeah. Shazam this weekend. Yes, and are and are we not in a, a peak superhero right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll talk about it, but let's just get into the the the, the basics. Show yeah. Shazam for anyone who doesn't know, originally titled Captain Marvel, but unfortunately they can't use that name for obvious reasons anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, originally a character from the 30s. They've uh, never really known what to do with him because the premise is so ridiculous and goofy. And what's well, nice to know he was originally Superman, right? Pretty much, he was. Well, yeah. he always had the he always had the uh, eight year old boy persona. That oh, was always did, part okay. of yeah. That was always part of it. But yes, when they when they came out with uh, Captain Marvel, they're like, hey, you're a ripoff of Superman. We're gonna sue your pants off. <laughs> so <laughs> that's pretty much the origin story of the litigated history of uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah, and when Marvel, a little bit more history, when Marvel came out with fun, light, quippy superhero movies. DC said, okay, we have to have a competing product, but we have to go a different way. So they went dark, broody, you know. <laughs> Everyone loves the Dark Knight. Let's keep Super making the Dark Knight. Yeah. <laughs> and the Joker. <laughs> anyway, and this this Shazam is basically a, an attempt to correct that course. Mm-hmm. There is Although, some of it in Wonder Woman, but yeah, this, this is a much lighter fare, I think. Much lighter, but uh, lighter in... I mean, still very much in the same kind of Marvel tone where it's kind of like sarcastic and ironic, but this one I think mm. leans into its corniness a lot more, and I think it's better for it. I mean, literally, the, the origin story is he gets powers from a wizard for crying out loud, so it's like there's no yeah. way to make it <laughs> not kind of over the top and ridiculous. You know? Yeah, I, like, well, that said, I think they, they do their best to make it serious because the movie actually opens with this long prologue of the villain's backstory (laughs) exactly and that's why i was kind of like reading into it after we saw it like oh okay this came from a horror director now that kind of under now i understand more of the stylistic choices behind this movie (laughs) yeah yeah because while it is like a, a a bit silly and corny it does have those dark moments like the villains are manifestations of the seven deadly sins as these like monstrous gargoyles um, <laughs> yes that at one point like bites bites a person's heads off throw them out windows and mm-hmm. although i think yeah, high, high body count for a, a life fun <laughs> superhero movie well i mean you were you were kind of complaining about it as we left the theater like you thought that was a little dark for the movie i thought it was actually kind of perfect to contrast you know zach levi's you know like goofy persona as well i thought it was mm. kind of like if you're gonna make a villain, don't make him equally as corny. Make him almost parallel, like evenly as dark. And so I think this movie kind of accomplishes that. Even though I thought the smoke effects were eh, a little lame. It's a little overdone. <laughs> well, th- th- yeah. Well, what, what what are you gonna do to fill the frame, John? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I said I said PK superhero because this is another like uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which I saw recently. Uh, Captain Marvel. This is a perfectly good, serviceable, like superhero product. Mm. <laughs> so, and if that's what you're looking for, I will say it's a little bit. I'd say messier, like more entertaining in parts, but also somewhat messier and darker. So it, I couldn't quite like square like who it was for or what the tone was like trying exactly to do. Um, I do like uh, its earnestness, mm-hmm. as you as you said. It, it's it's uh it's silly. Um, it has like a it the 
characters like it it involves this huge cast of characters including a foster family of about seven um mm-hmm. a rainbow co- a rainbow coalition of <laughs> there's a black there's a mexican yeah. there's a cripple <laughs> there's a cripple don't forget the little asian boy mm-hmm. and and the smart uh smart girl <laughs> yes the brainy girl yes brainy but also hot <laughs> and would it surprise you the asian one's good with computers oh boy yes yeah. <laughs> And the littlest one's precocious. But anyway, we're, we're getting off track. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the premise of the movie is, like, yes, a, a teenager basically inherits the powers of a superhero and doesn't quite know what to do with them. Thankfully, his foster brother is like a, a proper nerd. And I think that's the most entertaining aspect of the movie is when they, they try to work out their powers and see what exactly they can do with them. Um, this first starts by trying to extract some money out of it. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so uh, one of the nice touches of this movie is once you've granted a 14-year-old boy with superpowers, do you think he's going to use it with ultra-altruistic intentions? No, absolutely no. not. Yeah. <laughs> so we see him kind of, they explore the whole idea of what a 14-year-old would do with these powers. So naturally, he's uh, trying to buy beer. He's trying to get yeah. to a strip club. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he starts uh, busking, <laughs> like showing off his his lightning hand powers. So that yeah, the, he throw. uses lightning hand powers on an ATM. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and only like only when forced to like in a situation where he has to be heroic, he kind of has to be coaxed into it. <laughs> like <laughs> he still goes about it in the most cowardly way possible, which is kind of endearing. Yeah, it, it's very endearing. One thing I I also couldn't quite square is that. Um, the fourteen-year-old is is broody. Obviously, his his he's lost his mother. He's passed been passed around from foster family to foster family. Obviously, he wouldn't be a very cheerful kid. Mm-hmm. But the second that he turns into a superhero, he becomes a motor mouth like Zachary Levy, like this this puppy of a person. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, and so obviously I I've never turned into a superhero. I don't know how I would change or react <laughs> in that in that circumstance. But yeah, it it it. I couldn't quite, you know, put the pieces together in my brain. However, it's still th- those scenes in particular still work. I think they're really the highlight of the movie. Yeah, it's it's weird when it's cut up against this very sinister villain who's getting throwing people out windows and sinister, but also quite basic. He's he's a very archetypical superhero or uh, yeah. super villain because you know, oh, he's got he's been he was abused as a kid. He obviously doesn't appreciate family the same way Billy Batson does because you know he's been abused by his father. And then, you know, once he gets superpowers, obviously he's wearing like a big flowy jacket and, you know, he's like flying around menacingly. And it's, it's, you know, Mark Strong plays him and he does his best with kind of the material he's given. Oh, he's he just he's plays an experienced pretty, villain. Yeah. Yeah. He just kind of plays it pretty straightforward. And I thought that was kind of like, eh. but also the movie is so kind of like overstuffed and hyper energetic to begin with. It was kind of nice yeah. to have that contrast and just kind of have, and whenever the villain was in town, I'm like, all right, downtime. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the overstuffed because this and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, they both feel like six seasons of a TV show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's so much and there's so long and I have to pee at some point. So, <laughs> But yeah, the movie's but... compelling me, compelling enough to like kind of keep me in my seat. So No, credit, and you're also getting your money's due. worth. You're getting your, like, yeah. you want more plot instead of less. So I say go for it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I like it to be simpler. And it, and it does kind of do that. The climax takes place at this at this uh, winter carnival with a setup earlier, that's the circumstance under which uh, Billy lost his mother. So that's good. There's other little setups like uh, with a tiger toy and a few other things that very well constructed. Uh, yeah, maybe the villain villain could be a little bit better. Like you understand his the source of his animus, 
Um, however, it's not really it, it. There's no like change happening there. That's what I was really hoping is they they set up around the dinner table and Billy like the Billy's reluctant to join in until the family really comes together and, th- and then he does. I really wanted to see the villain. <laughs> like I know it'd be the corniest of cornball endings, but I wanted to see the villain kind of fine and accepting family in this foster home when yeah. his dad and older brother were such pricks to him. So. <laughs> That's the ending I was hoping for. Unfortunately, that does not happen. So I mean, it would have matched the goofy tone perfectly to have Martin yeah. Strong with like the Bond villain scar being like, hands in, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we, you kind of touched on it, but the biggest, my biggest annoyance with this movie and a lot of kind of comic book movies is the fact that like, it tries to go a little too metatextual with the whole, oh, the audience knows the cliche of superheroes, so we have to kind of comment on that or pretend like we already know. You know, yes, once he technically, gets, once he gets the superpowers, Billy Batson doesn't really know what to do. But his friend Freddy does because Freddy is a big superhero aficionado, and he knows all the cliches. And he knows all the cliches because he collects comic books, which still apparently exist in this universe—a <laughs> universe where Superman and Batman are real people. Yes, and. Like, that always kind of bothered me when they did it in the Marvel films, but it's especially bad in the DC universe because the DC universe is one step even further away from reality. Like, this movie takes place in Philadelphia. Where's Philadelphia in uh, reference to Metropolis or Gotham (laughs) or Central City, you know? It's like, I get why they said it in Philadelphia, a probably good tax break, but also, like, you know, it's a hard scrabble town, and so it makes sense that... Well, they technically filmed... Yeah, they technically filmed it in Toronto. Uh Oh, okay. (laughs) But still, it's. I th- I think that was to kind of hedge their bets because they weren't sure like whether they wanted this to be part of the DC extended universe or not. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, you're right because there's an incongruity to it. This is a a world in which superheroes already exist. Mm-hmm. So it's like not part of it's like part of the news cycle or something like that. And th- I had this a huge problem with this in Logan as well. They do not make comic books based on the news cycle. <laughs> or no. it's, so like what the, like what is going on? It's trying to like kind of bridge our world with the superhero world, and but it's just a connection where like you don't need or just it just doesn't make him feel special. Like they they make a point that they film uh, Shazam or Zach, Zachary Levi's character doing all these amazing things, and it, and of course it goes viral as every movie must. <laughs> they have to have something. <laughs> these are what viral. the kids is into these days. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we're uploading it to the YouTube like the fresh cool kids do. <laughs> yes, but you'd think like the, oh that wouldn't go viral, especially in a world in which I don't know hundreds of millions of people died the last time <laughs> Superman fought Zod. <laughs> Uh, they probably wouldn't embrace Shazam with just open arms after, you know, all the events of Man of Steel, if that were a real event. Yes. Um, and it, again, like, it's kind of incongruous because, again, that's what the DC universe, the movie universe was setting up. The fact that humans would have trepidation or would freak out if superheroes were really with us. But then you could also make the argument that this is post, like, Justice League. So it's like, oh, superheroes are good guys now. So obviously we like them. So, but again, that movie sucked and no one saw it. So no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So just make it a standalone. Like, does Aquaman make any reference to <laughs> the events of the past films or whatever? Or? Uh, not really. Uh, he's kind of a minor celebrity in that movie. Okay. So like that's you know like people recognize him as the Aquaman, even though he's still kind of like he he's kind of like Batman, and he's like still kind of like folkloric. But when people see him, it's like that must be the Aquaman. You know that kind of thing. Okay. 
there's actually one great scene where he's uh, in a bar with his dad and then these like these ne'er-do-wells these ruffians walk up to him and you know they're like bikers they're very coated biker and they're like hey you that guy on the tv he's like yeah what of it can we get a picture like you're like so cool <laughs> <laughs> and they all have a good time it's great yeah Aquaman. So yeah, so clearly this is. If you take anything away from this episode, it's that Shazam is not as good as Aquaman. No, but not for lack of trying. So yeah. yeah. Other than that, again, it's a perfectly good movie. Um, I'm gonna say one thing. I think I like it better than Captain Marvel. Mm. And there's one moment that really typifies that. So both these movies have the exact same circumstance where the hero is brought up to like the stratosphere and then they fall. Mm-hmm. And they haven't discovered their, like, flying abilities yet. Um, and it's way more impactful in Shazam because we've set up that this is just a frightful kid in his first, like, proper battle. Exactly. So he doesn't know what he's doing. And he lands and discovers the ability to fly, like, literally an inch from the ground. It's a very effective moment. It, the screen goes black for about five seconds. Mm-hmm. Contrast that to Captain Marvel when she's in her space suit and she's already like <laughs> broken apart like fifteen thousand different spaceships <laughs> and ta- and thwarted like t- two dozen enemies <laughs> and she's just falling and she's still like th- hundreds of thousands of feet in the air and she's like oh I guess I could fly in. I should I should fly now huh <laughs> yeah I should probably use these energy blasts to propel myself yeah, <laughs> yeah so I th- I think in terms of like superhero product this movie does a better job in terms of setting up a, a an origin story. Um, no, I mean also I re- it centers around a white man, so that's better. <laughs> <laughs> a white fourteen-year-old boy—that's the uh, proper yes. maturity level. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean that was what I talked about when I talked about Captain Marvel: is the fact that we never really see her struggle too much because, again, yeah. she's a woman; she should be able to accomplish anything. So, women yeah, struggle that... enough in real life, so <laughs> it's like we don't need to—we don't need to see that in our movies too. Yeah. Unless it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg in On the Basis of Sex. <laughs> Get another Brit playing her. <laughs> yep. Again, they can't cheaper. get any strong American actresses. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they can't get any strong American actresses who will work for scale. I mean, come on. <laughs> They're all so busy. Jennifer Lawrence is doing her thing. Amy Schumer is doing her thing, I guess. <laughs> and they're always <laughs> pregnant. Ugh, women troubles. John, let's get out of here quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, so that hey, send, send your complaints. Sucks. Send your complaints to uh, <laughs> at aspiring snobs on Twitter. You can uh, like our Facebook page and review bomb us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> please uh, give us one star reviews. <laughs> no, you should give us five star reviews on, let's say, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, and you yeah. can help us expand the aspiring snobs empire. Yes, it's yes. an empire now. <laughs> and if you want to be private with your messages and criticisms, particularly, um, <laughs> go ahead and email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, we're also taking recommendations. Again, this this movie came kind of out of the blue. I just thought, like, hey, I've never seen that before. Uh, however, if you have a favorite movie that you would like us to talk about, and you hope you, that we love it as much as you do, then go ahead and uh, send it our way. Yeah. We'll, we'll 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 look into it. I mean, we like to do movies that we haven't seen before, so don't make it obvious. Like you guys should do yeah. Titanic. Like obviously, we should do Titanic. Come on, everybody's seen Titanic. Come on, <laughs> mm, do Star Wars. <laughs> Whatever, nerds. <laughs> Freaking nerds. This isn't a podcast for nerds. This is a podcast for cool kids. Exactly. <laughs> and all the cool kids are loving Tootsie. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of cool kids watching cool movies, guess what we're watching next week? I can't remember, John. You're gonna have to. What's the, the delight my memory? How does that phrase go? <laughs> Jog my memory. There we go. Well, Greg, all the kids love this cool guy named Mel Gibson. 
<laughs> they love him as an actor, and they love him as a director. So let's revisit one of his directorial triumphs. In honor of Easter, we're going to be watching <laughs> The Passion of the Christ. That's right, that's right. Oh, boy. John, somehow, even though we were raised in a Christian household, this movie passed us by. No, because <laughs> we grew up in Massachusetts. We were level-headed Christians. Absolutely. <laughs> We we didn't we didn't get a bus full of elderly people to watch the movie unplanned or <laughs> <laughs> we sadly didn't get our Baptist church t- together in cargo vans and you know slept them off to the theater <laughs> yeah to see God's Not Dead four um. <laughs> and each one bought five copies of that new D'Souza book D'Souza yeah. <laughs> book whatever his name D'Souza. is Dinesh D'Souza that's his name that's his yeah name. yeah Dinesh D'Souza phone doesn't matter. <laughs> Can we call him that from now on? Can we say that's his oh, name? Oh, I already have. I've been doing it for years. <laughs> okay. That's canon now, guys. That's canon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to look forward to that next week. Oh, boy. Yeah. That episode's going to be torture. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I, keep aspiring, guys. There's no way to beat that. So. <laughs>